1: Your hosts, Jeannie Walters and Adam Toporek, are two of the most recognized and respected names in customer experience, and they've dedicated themselves to helping you improve your customer experiences. And now, it's time for Adam and Jeannie. So Jeannie, you have to fight for your right to repair.
0: <laughs> oh, for all the, uh, the Gen Z <laughs> the Gen- and the millennials Z. <laughs> out there. That's a reference to some classic, classic Classic. lyrics.
1: Classic, classic lyrics, exactly. You know, right to repair is a big discussion right now. It has been for a while and it it continues to be happening. And we're not gonna get into the politics of it, but I'll just explain a little bit about what it is for uh, those who might not know. Uh, You know, there are um, a lot of companies that make it hard to repair uh, their products. You know, they lock things down. Uh, There's a certain company that's very famous for it. Um, And there is a movement now to legislate um, what's called right to repair, Mm -hmm. to uh, create legislation that encourages uh, manufacturers to make repairs more accessible and to make it more affordable. Mm -hmm. Uh, And what I think would be interesting for us to talk about coming from the customer experience lens is forget the political side of it there is a growing movement here and it dovetails with some other movements we're seeing uh, because there's a big cost to not repairing things, which I know we're gonna get into. And it's this idea that of social responsibility, right? And we, mm-hmm. we, we've talked a lot on the podcast about these younger generations and uh, particularly, but everybody, but really the younger generations, how much it matters that they see social responsibility or social purpose in corporations. And um, my question to you, Jeannie, is should organizations get in front of this instead of Mm -hmm. waiting for legislation to force them? Is there a way to seize this as an opportunity to connect with customers and to um, do some good things for the world?
0: Is that all? Is that the only question? Um. That's
1: the only question, (laughs) Jeannie. uh, And I'd like you to solve it in less than three sentences, please. Thank you.
0: No, I think this is so interesting because there it it's not like this happened overnight, right? Like organizations started realizing, you know if if we can make it a little more challenging to repair our products, hey, guess what happens? Customers will buy more new products because that's what happens. If it's too painful, if it's too much effort, if it's too costly to repair something, and it's easier to just go ahead and get a new one, Maybe that seems like a better customer experience in some ways. And so, They started down that path, but what happened was they started realizing the business benefits of that and then made it harder and harder to repair things. And now customers are really starting to ask for options. And one of the more interesting parts of this is that especially during the pandemic, people started turning to augmented reality for how do I repair? How do I actually, do this and helping each other that way. And so they could actually, instead of bringing it to, for instance, somebody who specializes in repair, if they wanted to do it by themselves, they had different options. So there are all these layers to this now where customers are really starting to want more control over this. And yeah, to your uh, point, Adam, about sustainability, sorry, the. Uh, I think that's another really interesting one because that's been shown as a huge value for um, generations coming forward, and they're really demanding that. And this is this goes into the sustainability issue as well.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, we've got some uh, data here, and we'll, and we'll link to this in the show notes, so make sure to check it out. But over a quarter, twenty-seven percent of consumers disposed of a household appliance because it was inconvenient to get help to fix it. Mm-hmm. So uh, if that actually translates directly to sales, that's a 25% bump in sales, which you know, emphasizes your point, right? Mm-hmm. Um, actually, doesn't the math doesn't work that way? But it's a big bump in sales. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> uh, <and> math,
1: math, math, <laughs> math. Yes, uh, percentages are going different directions, but we'll get into that at another time. But the point is, that it is right. That's a that's a lot of people. That's a lot of product that is being purchased instead of fixed, mm-hmm. um, and you know, uh, it it ends up somewhere, right? That's the problem. So, mm-hmm. uh, this was, uh, this was great because this is very American. Uh, 176 pounds of electronic <laughs> trash is thrown away by American families each yeah. year.
0: Yeah. Crazy. Right. I mean, think about that. That is, that is crazy amounts. Right. That's not that trash. That's about.
1: electronic trash. Oh, yep. Right. Yep. Um, and, and you know, people are very sensitive now with the pandemic, um, great resignation, supply chain, all of the things that have, you know, continued to mm-hmm. manifest over over many months and back in the previous year. Um, and, you know, I think there's an economic aspect to this too, right? It, it costs mm-hmm. more.
0: Absolutely. And I think the the part that is so kind of compelling right now is, also tied to those things that you talked about. If there's a supply chain issue and I can't get that new device and you, company, are making it difficult for me to repair the device that I've already purchased from you, then maybe that's not the best customer experience, right? If I'm waiting for something that isn't arriving and I can't use the thing because you've made it nearly impossible to fix on my own that's not really great there is like there are entire businesses that are based on the idea of auto repair do-it-yourself for instance and so we know that there's this 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 is also very american i think like i'm gonna fix my stuff and so if, if we offer those ways of doing things in a way that is convenient that helps people actually achieve the goal, which is what we always talk about with designing customer experience. What is the goal that your customer is actually trying to achieve? An interesting example of like thinking differently here, Ikea, which actually is part of what they're doing is looking to some really big sustainability goals. And they've really put a stake in the ground on that. And they have announced a bunch of things. One of the things they realized was that when people put together furniture in their house, A lot of times it's hard to sell, it's hard to get rid of, it's hard to recycle, all of those things, because you set up a big, and anybody who's set up IKEA furniture (laughs) knows that once you set it up, you don't wanna take it down. Um, but what they're doing is they're actually thinking through the design process now of their furniture and saying, how can we make this easier so that if somebody did want to sell it or pass it on afterwards, they can in an easier way? Or how do we make it easier to recycle and how do we give instructions on that when we sell the piece? And that's it's it's kind of a parallel track here to right to repair. but the whole idea is they're thinking beyond that first transaction. They're thinking about the actual life cycle of their product and how to make that a better experience for the customer. So I think that's really interesting too.
1: Well, you said the key word, which is transaction, and this Mm -hmm. is literally a perfect example of the difference between a transactional approach and a relational approach to customers. Right? Yeah. Because if, 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 if your goal is to be transactional, then, you know, make it hard to repair
0: yeah right
1: it's real simple if you just want to keep cranking the numbers in the short term um make it hard to repair but if Mm -hmm. you are want to develop loyalty um you know there are a few brands that have made it hard to repair and still have loyalty because of their other features and values and Mm -hmm. market share and other factors Uh, but in general if you're in a competitive environment and um you know, your uh, your product's hard to repair and uh, difficult and, you know, creates a hassle. That's, a, mm-hmm. you know, we talk a lot about friction. I talk personally a lot about hassle and this idea of if you're going to really produce negative emotions, mm-hmm. right? If you're a- in the customer, you're always gonna pay. You're, There's a cost of that and I would uh, venture to say in most cases that cost is gonna be a lot higher than uh, what you're gonna get from your uh, yep.
0: <laughs> cycling,
1: cycling through a little bit more by making things difficult, so.
0: Absolutely, and I think another interesting example from a few years ago that we've talked about is <clears throat> excuse me dyson the vacuum product company they've got more than vacuums but that's what they're known for and they uh had an issue with a part that was failing after a few months or years and people would call in and say this part isn't working and they'd say okay we're going to send you two we're going to send you two replacement parts because that will make the whole machine last longer so that you had one on on reserve, basically, because they knew this wasn't, and eventually they fixed this problem. I want to be transparent about that. But once they discovered that this was an issue, they proactively started uh, sending these out to the people who had this model of a vacuum and letting them know, this is what you do with it. This is how it happens. This is, you know, we're sending you two so that you get the longest life you can out of this product. And what a great way to build loyalty, because of course those people are probably like, "Okay, well." now they proactively did something they they solved an issue before we even knew we had it in some cases and in other cases they just recognize like we're not going to let you go through this and have to call us again (laughs) we're going to actually solve this for you so i think there are a lot of examples like that if you think about it where if you're thinking about the actual product life cycle and your customers real life which we talk about a lot here too then That's what leads to those types of decisions. If you're only thinking about that transaction and how do we get that next purchase, then it's really easy to make decisions that maybe don't serve your customer long-term.
1: Absolutely, and I think, uh, you know, when I think about the difference between a transactional um, approach and a relational approach, you know who we have a relationship with, Jeannie?
0: You know, aside from from the podcast partner that I know as Adam, (laughs) We also have this long-term relationship with our listeners. This is pretty amazing, right? (laughs) So we are always so, so appreciative of you for showing up, for being here time after time with us, and we hope that uh, you'll stick with us for the long term. Thank you so much for listening to Crack the Customer Code. We are a proud member of C Suite Radio, so be sure to check out C com and C com. I'm Jeannie Walters. You can find me at experienceinvestigators.com.
1: And I'm Adam Deport, and you can find me at customers Until next time, take care of yourself.
0: And take care of your customers.